0: Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. Anger was just one of the emotions in the African-American community here when local TV news anchor Kevin Steincross mispronounced the name of Martin Luther King in what was considered a racial slur. Many members of the African-American community were outraged. The NAACP demanded his dismissal. Steincross apologized but is off the air for the time being. What is the relationship between the media and the black community? In order to get a better sense of that relationship, I'm joined in studio by Carol Daniel of KMOX Radio, Linda Lockhart, formerly of St. Louis Public Radio News, and the Post-Dispatch. And by the way, she helped to found the St. Louis chapter of the Association of Black Journalists. Professor Eric Rothenbuehler is dean of the School of Communications at Webster University. Welcome all. Great to have you. Thank you, Don. Thank you. Let me start with you. I'd like to get a reaction uh, quickly to the Kevin Steincroft case and then move on. And I'll start with you, Linda. How well do you think that was handled? Well, I appreciate that um, they recognize
1: there was a problem right away, um, that they are open to conversations. I don't think that Mr. Steincroft needed to be fired, as was the case of another journalist uh, in Rochester, New York, who made a similar error uh, early in the um early in January, who was um, who was fired. So I think it's an ongoing conversation that needs to be had to be aware that these kind of things cannot be allowed to happen. Carol Daniel?
2: Um, as the president of the Greater St. Louis Association of Black Journalists, we did listen as well as we could to what we believe was clean audio. We do not believe that it was a malicious utterance. We don't believe that he said it on purpose. We don't even believe he said the word clearly. I do believe, we do believe the station mishandled Um, the whole episode in its response, in its quick response, in its defense of him so quickly, Mm -hmm. and then said nothing else about it, which left a vacuum for people to fill in um, what they felt about it. Um, And so we don't believe that he should have been um, suspended indefinitely either. But because of the way the station handled it and the reaction to it, it seems like the station felt it had no choice but to suspend him. But as as an association and as a broadcaster of 30-plus years. I do know that things are said incorrectly all the time, that people mispronounce words. Um, I don't believe that he said a racial slur on the air, but I think the station uh, mishandled it and and did so in a poor fashion.
0: Hmm. Eric Rosenbuhler, your thoughts?
3: Well, no one will be surprised as an educator. I'm more interested in how we move on, what we learn from this, and what we do next uh, than in, you know, what, what happened. I have been Listening more carefully to radio and television broadcasters in the last two weeks, and sure enough, there are more mispronunciations and more mistakes than we think. Normally, they're they're harmless, meaningless mistakes, and so we don't even notice them as we're listening. But the stakes are high. If you make a living talking in public, the stakes are
0: high. Linda, how much dialogue goes on between representatives of the African-American community and the media?
1: Not nearly enough, Don, I don't think. Um, I know that currently news organizations are doing more what they call community engagement and trying to engage and have conversations with what they consider underrepresented groups. So um, many news organizations are trying to do better. But we're still looking at, you know, who's making the decisions, who's deciding what kind of stories are covered, uh, and where are the people of color in the chairs that make those decisions. Uh, And that's still a challenge that I think we are slow in addressing.
0: We'll get back to that because it's an issue that uh, merits more time. But I want to go to Carol. You mentioned the organization, the (coughs) Black Journal organization has had some dialogue. How much of that goes on between the organization and media people in town?
2: Well, I will say we try to have as much dialogue as possible. Um, Last year, we had a a news director's panel, and the the news director here uh, was a part of that panel so that our membership could hear from news directors what they look for in applicants um, and how they assess who will be the next hire in in their particular units. And so that was something that, that I wanted to do that the organization is intent on doing because one of our main goals is to encourage young people to become a part of this industry. And so we can't do that if we are not talking to local news directors to find out what is it that you're looking for. How can they best craft a a, a reel? How can they best craft a resume? So we try to have those discussions as much as possible. Um, When members, and this doesn't happen often, perhaps it should happen more, when members have concerns, we are a sounding board for sure. We try to lift each other up. We we, want to encourage excellence uh, in what our members do in their respective shops. Uh, and so there is more of a one-on-one conversation uh, with our members um, th- than there is with management in town.
0: Mm-hmm. Eric, as, as a student of, of, of media and an observer, do you think that African Americans are treated fairly by media?
3: Well, you've got to look at specific cases to answer a question like that, but overall, uh, any media work, whether it's journalism or entertainment, it's a product of an organization, and inside that organization there's a community. And the more diverse that community, the, the better will be their products. Uh, journalism, we tend to look at the person whose name's on the byline or the person who's reading the news in front of the camera, but journalism is never the work of a single individual, it's the work of an organization and more diverse organizations have more perspectives. There's more uh, checking and discussion and more creativity. And, and we see that in all industries, in all lines of work. But in communication, it's crucial that the best work, the most creative work, the most useful work, uh, the work that serves the largest and most diverse audience comes out of organizations that are diverse themselves
0: linda your your thoughts on that same question
1: well that's part of the problem don that trying to cover a community that you don't really know very well and often especially i think in broadcast news we see the old, if it bleeds, it leads kind of philosophy that the news focuses on the negative, on the bank robberies, the shootings, the carjackings. And it gives a perception that this whole population of people is causing problems, when in fact, that's not the case. It's always a minority that is causing the problems, but those are the ones that get the most attention. Mm -hmm. So trying, again, to have other people that can say, wait a minute, let's put some things in context. Let's try and look at some of the underlying causes besides some of these problems. You know, really not just reporting, you know, oh, there was Another bank robbery today, or carjacking today, but you know what's problems in schools? What's what are problems in employment or unemployment? Those kind of things that can help um, eradicate these problems.
0: Carol, same thing.
2: I, I think there's a, there certainly is a technical problem that we all face, and that is the clock. There's only so much time. Mm -hmm. Um, We in broadcast have advertisers. We have so many minutes of commercials that have to run every hour. So a newscast is only so long. So there's some technical issues that we face. But I I always jokingly say I could have minored in psychology and and would have willingly done so. And so I bring that sense of my heart and my soul to to the news. And I I ask coworkers, it's one thing to report that an 18-year-old was found with a bullet wound to the head. But if you never name that 18 year old, if you never follow up to find out who was that 18 year old, then all you're doing is giving statistics to people. And because news reporters are human, because listeners are human, then if all they get are statistics, but they never get names and faces and and lives and hopes and dreams, then that a coldness can develop. And that coldness can lead to then perception about the, the entities that you are covering. You mentioned
0: faces. Let me give you a list of things that I see and get your reactions, all of you, to this. Uh, mugshots in the newspaper. You're always going to have a mugshot if a, it's a black suspect. It seems to me always the case. Uh, the codes that's used. When you talk about North St. Louis, you know what we're talking about. We're talking about black people, correct? That's that's code, it seems to me. Uh, we're generally talking about poor people will show video of black people. Do you agree with me so far that this is something that's going on? Generally, in on that is true. Uh, 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 if you have a an abducted little black girl and an abducted little white girl, who's going to get more coverage? The little white girl, the little black girl. It seems to me this happens all the time. And we all see the video of racial protests and, and uh, demonstrations, that sort of thing. What's your take on that? I mean, this is, th- is this fair? What I'm laying out for you, is this fair? Is this, or, and it is reality? Or I, is it
2: not? I, I would say, Don, that I think that people, uh, it, we say it bleeds, it leads. But I think fear leads also. That, that what we have told people to fear as reporters mm. isn't necessarily a true thing to fear. Um, and it's easy to report about crime, especially here in St. Louis, because yeah. we, we we have a lot of it, and so we just mm-hmm. report about crime. But again, I go back to reporting and, and Linda has mentioned this as well, touched on this, an in-depth reporting of crime. To simply report on the crime itself and not to report about the nuances of that. The cause. The, the cause data. of yeah. that. We, we're doing a disservice to, to our listeners, to our viewers, and to our readers, if all we say again is an 18-year-old was found shot in the head in North St. Louis.
0: And that's what we're doing.
2: And that is kind of what we have traditionally done. And so we, as the Association of Black Journalists, certainly are saying to our members, you need to go in-depth. Above all people, you should go in-depth.
1: And that's where we get into the idea of who's in the newsrooms. Diversity, you know, The yes. diversity of the staff of the training and of the management because at the end of the day it's still going to be those assigning editors who are making the calls on what gets on the air, what gets published, what gets printed, um, looking for those little nuances in those stories that Maybe somebody can catch something before it gets on the air, um, whether a reporter may not have thought they were doing anything with a bias. So uh, that's, I think, where we still have a lot of work to do is to see more diversity at the top of the food chain.
0: Go ahead, Eric.
3: Yeah, I think there's a very important theme, and Carol's pointed at a really fundamental issue in the institution of journalism in the United States. There's a contradiction there that we as an audience member and we as journalists, we want – we want these to be stories about our community and an accurate representation of our community but the institution makes a living by making you watch, right? We're gonna make you watch, we're gonna make you click, we're gonna make you listen, and, and so there's an institutional pressure to do what is most effective and most efficiently effective to attract and hold an audience, and that's things like fear, violence, sex in other contexts, not on the news. But. So those sort of primal things become really prominent in commercial media. And, and they serve a dysfunction in our community and what we know about each other and what we know about our neighbors and how we view each other.
0: Interesting you mentioned that. I have to take a break, but in our next segment, we're gonna be talking about these same emotions being utilized strategically in the political world. I mean, Absolutely. We don't have to look very far to see that happening. Anyway, let's take that break now. We'll come back in a moment and continue our conversation. We're talking about media coverage of the African-American community. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Thank you for listening to this
1: St. Louis on the Air podcast, supported by University College at Washington University, with undergraduate and graduate programs part-time evening and online.
0: University College at Washington University, offering world-class education within reach. Back to our conversation with Carol Daniel of KMOX, Linda Lockhart, formerly of St. Louis Public Radio News, and Professor Eric Rothenbuehler, the Dean of the School of Communications at Webster University. Eric, I'd like to come back to you, something you said I think we have to acknowledge. You talked about online, looking online uh, on the social yes. media. Are you, what are you seeing there? Are you seeing a greater or lesser degree of fairness, do you think, in cover of minorities?
3: Well, the thing about online, in some ways, online takes our basic human tendencies and blows them up, exaggerates everything, takes everything to the extreme. It seems to be like a catalyst in a chemical reaction. And so one of the things that happens online is, is that we in our groups and communities and families we fracture we all go in different directions everybody's online experience is different depending on where they click where they click and where the artificial intelligence systems recommend they go and what comes next Um, and so in some ways it's as if we were pursuing pursuing ourselves or pursuing our particular interests to the nth degree And in a newspaper, you get a curated presentation of what some experts have decided are the key stories of the day. Whereas online, you can start chasing down any any rabbit hole you might find.
0: Linda, there are no editors online. <laughs> there are no editors.
1: That's unfortunate. And that's one of the things that we encourage our students. As Carol mentioned, we have a high school journalism program through the organization. And I tell them, you know, now you have everything in, at your fingertips. So don't just read the stuff that you like or read the stuff that you gravitate to. Learn something about what other people and other sides maybe are saying. So if you're reading The New York Times, you're reading CNN, you should also be reading Fox News presentations, The Washington Post Presentations, read the Washington Times. Don't just read the stuff that satisfies and reinforces what you already believe. But another point that you made earlier, Don, about the images, I think is really critically important about the mugshots and things and how people are described um, in a crime. If you're looking for a suspect, you know, more often than not, I'll hear, you know, a black teenager, 17 years old, is being sought. But if the race is not described, I often wonder, that must be a white person. They didn't say we're looking for a white man 45 years old uh, who was seen wearing a hoodie or whatever. And so, again, we're reinforcing those stereotypes and those negative images that black is bad and anything that's not black
0: is less bad. Carol, any comment with regard to the the social media, the online uh, c- coverage we uh, are subjected to?
2: Well, I feel like we all need therapy. We all need counseling <laughs> because we are so. It's so easy for the average person to go to a website and that they want to know something about, and just and then you're led someplace else. And thirty five minutes later, forty five minutes later, I'm not quite sure what you have, mm. uh, how you have emerged as a more learned person. I I, I don't know that you have, but we're talking about. Human nature here. Right. And, and, and Dr. Uh, Rothenbuehler has, has keyed in on that. It, and it's just so easy to do. And it is a moneymaker. It absolutely is a moneymaker. I know that there are organizations out there that are being pushed to get a certain number of clicks. Mm-hmm. Journalism organizations, we need more clicks. And that is a problem against a public that we have le- already led down a rabbit hole because we've given them stereotypes. That's all. We we haven't given them an in-depth understanding of the issues. And so now we've given them a rabbit hole to go down without a lack of understanding of an in-depth perception of the issues.
0: Uh, Linda, has that changed in the 40 years that you've been in the business?
2: Well, it's kind
1: of like a roller coaster. Sometimes it gets better and sometimes it gets worse. And while we are seeing more people of color in newsrooms, Um, there's more newsroom jobs. And so there are lots of young people that want to go into journalism. But again, who gets jobs, who stays in jobs, who gets promoted, um, how we get those jobs in that training? The Post-Dispatch in my era had a scholarship that sent young people to University of Missouri's journalism school. Um, That scholarship no longer exists, even though that program launched amazing young people across the country, including Gerald Boyd, who became the first African-American managing editor of the New York Times, mm-hmm. and um, Ben Holden, who became a corporate executive with Gannett, and uh, Jim Ellis, who became a senior editor with Business Week magazine. So the successes mm-hmm. are there if you grow your own and nurture them, but not if you don't.
0: We've we've gone beyond the tokenism that began when, when you beyond. and I were starting. Pro- much beyond. Oh, much beyond. There's no question about it. I, I can remember when I started in television, we had uh, one black reporter who was only assigned to cover black stories, if mm-hmm, you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, quick story about him. His name was Wiley Daniels. And Wiley Daniels uh, never moved out of the community, his community. And he used to sit on his porch every night. And the kids would come by because he was on television. He was, he was somebody. And uh, it, it was just always remarkable to me how he stuck with his. He could have moved anywhere. But he wanted to be with the kids and show that you can make it great. Uh, that was 50 years ago. Mm-hmm. That was 50 years ago. Eric, thoughts on okay. that sort of thing?
3: Well, it's uh, for us teaching students and in the business of education, it's crucial. We think about it all the time. And so we do everything we can not only to provide access to education for students of all backgrounds, uh, we try to provide an elite education in a very open and democratic way, available to everyone, no matter their means or their background but we also build into the curriculum and into extracurricular activities and even into the university's strategic plan and those sorts of things the importance of diversity and inclusion that that the, this world is growing more
0: diverse diverse
2: let's I'm
3: not divorce. start over again let's not hey, diverse hey
0: that's that's kevin diagram. right this, <laughs> this world is growing
3: more diverse all the time and uh, that is an asset, that's a resource. It's not a tension or a source of anxiety, it's a resource. And that's what we need, that's the attitude we need. And so the university has a diversity and inclusion conference. We've got our fourth one is coming up in, in February. Um, we're partnering with the Greater St. Louis Association of Black Journalists to host this high school uh, journalism workshop on our campus. Um, and we do a variety of other things we try to engage our community and we nurture in our own students the attitude that what's different what's unfamiliar is interesting and, and important and that they should be attracted to uh, diverse communities and and, uh, and and that it's a resource for them.
0: Let's uh, bring in some of the listeners who want to get into the conversation we'll start with David who's calling from St. Louis. David thanks for waiting you're on the air. Thank you, Don, and for bringing me in just now, because I think uh, the willingness of news organizations to include voices that are different than the dominant white narrative are crucial. Um, I've lived in St. Louis 40 years. From
2: 1993, and I'm a white gay male from a farm in Iowa, but from 1993 think, to about 2009, I think, St. Louis AM talk radio carried stories about police misconduct,
0: the toll of systemic oppression took on the health and longevity of black St. Louisans, and empowered black St. Louis.
2: Yeah.
0: Brown. David, um, I'm afraid we're going to have to leave it at that. Try it one more time, if you would, David. Something's Something's wrong with the transmission uh the no i'm afraid it's not working did anyone get uh, the sense of what he was trying to get uh, get to there do you think
1: Well, I think that, you know, we want to try to have coverage change with the times. Mm -hmm. You know, as Eric had said, you know, we live in a more diverse world. Um, Certainly issues of gay and lesbians has come onto the forefront in addition to people of color. And uh, back again, how we cover the stories and how we hire people in our newsrooms. So we want to have our communities reflect, our newsrooms reflect our communities. And that's where I think we still have the growth to do.
2: And the word that he said that, that, that caught my attention was empower, mm-hmm. that, that when you give a traffic report or a weather report, you empower people to make an informed decision about what route to take or whether to leave early or whether to wear a coat or gloves or a hat. And if we give them information about the full depth and breadth of the African-American community, we not only empower that community, but we empower all mm-hmm. to have a deeper awareness of what is going on in their entire world.
0: Do you have uh, Carol? Do you have trust in what in what you watch? I'm I'm citing television now, but trust in what you watch and what you listen mm. to.
2: That that uh, I would never call myself a critic. Huh. My husband's the critic in the family, but when I do watch news and read news, uh, I, I'm aware that someone made a decision uh, uh, whether to cover this, how to cover this, who to send. I'm aware of those things because I've been in the business for for three plus decades. So I know those things occur. So I do have those types of Mm -hmm. questions when I watch a certain person covering the crime scene. Someone else covers city council. Not everybody has beats anymore. Everybody covers everything. So I have some questions when I'm watching. Um, I have some questions about whether that reporter is, is informed, how much information they're being given. I have questions about whether their management team is supporting them, if they are educating them further, if they're helping them with their writing or not. I have those types of questions, mm-hmm. but I, I, I generally trust that, yes, it was westbound, not eastbound. I, I trust those types of things. I trust that the, that the officer was 24 years of age. I trust those types of mm-hmm. things. I trust information, but I don't always and, trust angles.
0: And the things you can't see. And the things That's, I cannot I, no see. No one knows what's on the cutting room floor. Exactly. But we
2: and, know there is a cutting room floor. Yeah. Linda, how about you? Well, and th- what I don't trust is
1: is how the young people are being treated on the workplace. Um, I certainly have heard of experiences that young white interns or new employees are getting more nurturing you know by more, more mentoring that kind of thing of having somebody show them the way to go you know what to look for how to do the job but then a young person of color comes in and they don't have that same opportunity to have somebody looking out for their best interest and so I've seen the case of African-American interns who were left to sort of flounder on their own where the white interns or the new employees are being nurtured in a different kind of way which again gets back to the diverse news force of having more veteran people of color in that newsroom to help nurture that young person coming along. Another point that Carol made about um, covering things for everybody, obviously, for me as a journalist of color, I think I would like to think that I've helped mentor and nurture white journalists as well and help them think about things in the community they may not have thought about before. So I think, you know, we can help each other across that line. And so I think we'd like to see white mentors reach out more for students of color and have more African-American, and people of color
3: as mentors.
0: And Eric Rothenbuer, this is where media literacy comes in, Abs- isn't it? Where critical thinking really has to play a part. We all have to do that.
3: That's exactly what I was just thinking, mm-hmm. that being an audience member is just as active. It's just as much a form of work as being the journalist or the, or the media producer. And we, we run a big risk when we think of it as consuming. We should think of it as engaging. Mm-hmm. And we can trust when we have knowledge and when we're using our knowledge to think about and evaluate the media materials we're
0: consuming. We, our time is winding down, but we have a, uh, one of our listeners, Tani, I believe is the name, just sent us an email saying, uh, characterizing mistakes as harmless and meaningless perpetuates the problem. I find that lack of knowledge and potential indifference to the consistent negative representation of African-Americans and media makes this representation harmfully normative.
2: Who who said when you know better, you do better, mm. okay? And if you know better, but you don't do better, then that is willful ignorance. And if you know that the community you're reporting on is more than just that crime that occurred, 11 shootings over the weekend, and that's reported on Monday. If you know there's more to the community than that, and you don't report on the economic difficulties or the economic successes, or the education difficulties or the education successes, if you you know those things occur, and you don't report on them, that is willful ignorance. And you are hurting my industry as a journalist, but you're also hurting the very viewers that you depend upon for your checks. Mm
0: Do you have a thought on that, uh, Linda, before we say goodbye?
2: Well, absolutely. I think knowledge is power. And so
1: sometimes people get all queasy about, oh, diversity training. I don't want to go to that. I don't, that, you know, it's touchy feely. But we do need to learn more about what we have different and then also learn about what we have more in common so that we don't focus on our differences quite so much. We are
3: all St. Louisans,
0: after all. And Eric, you're right on board with all of this. Absolutely.
3: I was just going to say bravo after Carol's. (laughs) At Carol's comment. Uh-huh.
0: We're going to have to leave it at that. Still much to talk about, but time just does not permit it. I'm sorry to say. Thank you so much, Carol. Thank Dander. you. Wonderful to see you again. You
2: as well. We go way back, people. About 25 <laughs> years.
0: KMOX, that's for sure. Linda Lockhart, great to see you. Enjoy your ongoing retirement.
1: Anytime I'm available for you, Don.
0: You know, well, we'll take advantage of that. Eric <laughs> Rothenbuehler, thank you for being with us. Great to meet thank you. Thank
3: you. Happy to be here.